You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Okay, we're going to get into Web3. The thing that I literally could know the least amount about, but that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. I've got two guests. They both work at Roofstock, and this is Roofstock's second time being featured on TechNest. And I will say... I always have a special place for every guest who comes on the show and the companies that have been on the show. Always appreciate the support uh, from every one of them. Uh, and it just means a lot that they're willing to come on and share. I've got Sanjay Raghavan and I've got Jeff Thompson. Sanjay is the head of Web3 Initiatives and Jeff is the chief blockchain officer at Roofstock. And we're talking about Roofstock on-chain. Earlier this year or 2020, whenever you're listening to this, Roofstock executed a transaction of a residential real estate investment property with one click on blockchain technology. And this episode is dedicated to breaking it down. How does that work? What are the benefits of buying real estate on blockchain? And who is looking for this solution? Sanjay is going to get into the diversification a little bit of you know your portfolio, how you invest, some of the cost savings that may come with that, the advantages of potential future financial uh, like lending products, uh, lending towards and on properties like this. I think it's a fascinating discussion. If you're like me and you're a little bit on the edge of you haven't quite delved into or jumped into Web3 and you want to learn more about how does blockchain and even cryptocurrency have anything to do with real estate, I think this is a great starting point. I appreciate multiple of the arguments that Sanjay and Jeff make in here. Let's get into it. Hey, Sanjay, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Uh, hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited because I don't get to do... It was one of my uh, um, objectives this year to do more like group recordings, not just always one-on-ones. Uh, and we've, we've done a few uh, earlier in the year, and then I went back to my one-on-one <laughs> pattern here. And then, you know, a few weeks ago, we had a chance to catch, catch up, and I was excited to hear that both of you wanted to come on the show and talk about what you're working on at Roofstock OnChain. And it's also exciting because Roofstock uh, was one of the very first companies to support the podcast. And so because of that, um, I've just always been a big fan of Roofstock in general, you know, shout out to um, everyone like Zach and Suresh who've like always responded back to me. Gary, I I think I shared the story, but I don't know. Like I didn't know who Gary was, and I met him by, backstage at an Inman because he had a Roofstock sticker like on his laptop, and I was like Roofstock. Oh, what do you know about them? <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> turns, oh, well, See, you know, I kind of work CEO. there. Yeah. <laughs> if I, you know, if I, you know, if Gary probably doesn't you know he's sort of a very humble guy and doesn't go out and say i'm the ceo and founder he's probably like oh i work at roofstock and you know just yeah 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 <laughs> it was exactly like that so and uh also shout out to gary i saw he followed tech nest on twitter today so um well cool we have i think we have a fun 
show planned here. Um, to start out with, so I know we're both talking about Roofstock, but um, I want to give each of you guys to introduce yourselves, let everyone know who you are and what you do at Roofstock. We'll, we'll go Sanjay and then Jeff. Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, Sanjay Raghavan um, joined Roofstock three years back, uh, just over three years back. And coincidentally, Jeff and I joined on the same day. So walking up the elevator, we were like, huh, what's this guy going to be doing? Uh, anyway, so, um, you know, I started out uh, for a year. I was sort of managing um, strategic finance at Roofstock and then jumped over to uh, build a REIT, uh, Real Estate Investment Trust. Um, Roofstock's product is called Roofstock One. And uh, so I built that product with Jeff. Uh, Jeff was, le- uh, he was a general counsel at that time as a securities lawyer. And he'll go into more details about his background. And I was leading the initiative uh, from a business unit perspective. And so we uh, co-built that product, and which was launched um, late last year. Uh, and then um, about a year and a half back, our board came to uh, our CEO and said, you guys need to look into this whole blockchain Web3 space and see if there's any interesting use cases there for Roofstock. And, and so the two of us got um, pulled in for that uh, research project, which we did for about six months. And then we presented our case to the leadership team and uh, the blockchain division, Web3 division was officially formed late last year, early this year. And then uh, since then, Jeff and I have been co-leading that. And uh, uh, we'll talk about uh, what we've done uh, in the last one year and the success we've had um, uh, during this podcast. But yeah, it's been a terrific journey so far. Very cool. Yeah, and and so um, I think Sanjay covered most of it, but uh, I'm a lawyer by training, um, spent 15 years practicing law uh, in, in both law firms and in general counsel roles at, at tech startups, most recently Roofstock, and um, have spent a good amount of time prior to uh, joining the, the Web3 initiative here at Roofstock, uh, providing legal advisory to different uh, crypto startups in the space. So we're coming at it from a, uh, by, by the time you put Sanjay and, and myself uh, together, we have very strong background in legal and, and financial structuring. Um, so, and then of course, real estate. And that's kind of our secret sauce um, is, is approach these problems with the uh, kind of starting with the difficult real world um, aspects and then adding the technology on top of it. Uh, so we are coming very much from the real estate space and trying to bridge uh, the technology as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, and it's exciting. I'm not going to go into specifics and talk about who's in the news and what's happening in the news, but it's encouraging to hear uh, the legal background that you guys have and how you're you're leveraging that to kind of tie the two worlds together, if you will, the digital and the the real I'm excited to get into details of that. So let's kind of start from, you know, bigger picture. Uh, Rootstock on-chain. What is the problem it's working to solve? Jeff, you want to take that? Sure. So so Rootstock, starting with Rootstock's mission, because we're just a part of Rootstock, um, Rootstock's mission has always been to make single-family rental homes more accessible as an asset class, both for institutions and individuals. And, and specifically to be able to own and, and manage these properties um, across the U.S., um, regardless of where you, the owner, happen to live. Um, so if you're you know, in a coastal city and you want to make a purchase in the Midwest or the Southeast, we've provided the technology to, to do that uh, remotely. And, 
there's plenty there that we could talk about, but that's where we started from, from Roofstock's perspective. And the Web3 aspect of it is really just finding a way to take the next step and make these transactions easier, faster, simpler. Um, you know, I, I, we have spent a lot of time and money as a company uh, perfecting those processes, but at the end of the day, they are, you know, they are what they are with a lot of intermediaries. And we, mm -hmm. there's, there are certain limitations that we run into that we can't solve with technology. You know, it takes a certain amount of time for the county recorder's office to record a deed or, or for, you know, for an inspection to be done. Um, we can't necessarily change that. But what we did for the blockchain aspect was kind of start with first principles and, and think about what problem are we trying to solve here and how can we reverse engineer the traditional closing process to fit into a transaction that looks um, and feels more like a, a native crypto transaction? Mm -hmm. So, so what the problem we solved, we made it possible to buy and sell real estate with one click. I mean that if you have to boil it down to one sentence, we've kind of reconstructed the process that goes into buying and selling a home without ignoring all of the difficult things that have to be true for that to happen. So this is not as if we just said, okay, well, we're just going to pretend that, you know, you don't need title insurance and then we can use an NFT. Uh, no, like we, we, we know what has to be true. There has to be an inspection. There has to be title insurance. There has to be property insurance. There have to, taxes have to be paid. All of that stuff. We've just moved all of that earlier in the process. It still gets done. But by the time that property is listed on our site, it's all been done. So if the buyer is ready to make a purchase, they can do that with one click using a, an NFT smart contract. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the, I mean, I, and we'll get into the details of how a transaction works. And, and I can appreciate kind of like the reverse engineering here because, you know, obviously I'm on the insurance side and know a little bit about that. You know, what you're talking about, not just property, but property for investors, which has a longer time to close on average than your standard residential purchase of course you know that may be excluding mm -hmm. cash buys mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's a you know fix and flip type situation but if it's requiring financing tend to have a longer time to close there's more stringent underwriting requirements the insurance requirements are going to be a little bit different uh, you may have some changes with your city and township depending on how they choose to treat it uh, i just found out here in my neighborhood that the taxes, the underwriting on just the taxes ruins a deal for me um, because of what how they treat the property. And so, you know, even just getting the insurance instantly. Um, and it's kind of crazy to think about because it was only a few years ago that Amazon's uh, patent on the on the one click uh, or, or like click to buy, I think it was. So their, their processes mm -hmm. for engineering has had expired. And so to even think that we're even that close to doing this with real estate, knowing how many other intermediaries and services are involved is quite remarkable. So maybe we can walk through practically, what are all the things that you have to line up and what's some of the technical, you know, how have you gotten around some of those things that, hey, you still need insurance, you still need title search and making sure that title is clear, it doesn't have any blemishes and everything is good to go and, and sell that property. Like, how have you been able to you know, overcome those hurdles to make an in a, as near as instant mm -hmm. transaction possible. And, and one uh, sort of really interesting thing I picked up there from what you just said earlier is the Amazon example, right? Um, we, we use that quite a bit. Um, you know, you may spend 
a week looking into you know searching looking at uh, Nintendo Switches versus PlayStation versus Xbox or whatever and trying to compare the features and figuring out what it is that you're looking to buy. But once you've completed your diligence and you're ready to make that purchase, you click that button, you expect Amazon Prime to deliver it that day or the next day or within a couple of yep. days. You, you're not waiting for four weeks for it to be shipped from you know, China to get it to get into the port of Los Angeles and then you know go to a warehouse from there and all that, right? So we, we think of the real estate closing process uh, mm. in, a, in a sort of a similar way where there's really two things that happen during those three, four, five weeks it takes to close real estate, right? One is there's um, an offer has been made and accepted, but there's a lots, there's lots of contingencies that have gone into that offer. There's an right. inspection contingency, an appraisal contingency, a financing contingency, so on and so forth. And during those three or four weeks, there's tremendous stress for both the buyer and seller, right? Because you may find out through the inspection that uh, some appliance is broken or the roof is leaking or there's a plumbing issue. And then you're going back and renegotiating on what is the seller going to complete before handing over the keys to you or what, or how much rebate can you get on the offer and, and renegotiate on the price and so on and so forth. Same way, you know, if the buyer got pre-qualified for a loan last month uh, based on the interest rates that were prevailing at that time, but the interest rates have moved since then, and now you're looking to close a property. And based on your last month's pre-approval, you know you made the offer, but suddenly when you go back to the underwriter, they're like, hey, you don't qualify for this loan amount anymore. You need to come up with a higher down payment now or, or reduce your interest by buying some points. Like It creates all the stress for both the parties throughout this uh, three, four, five weeks it takes to close, and this uncertainty whether the deal is actually going to close until it actually happens. And, and so one of the things we wanted to just do was remove the stress and uncertainty for both the buyer and seller. In order to accomplish that, as you said, some things do have to be true uh, in a real estate transaction. So we, you know, before uh, uh, our kind of Web3 properties listed on an NFT marketplace, we performed, uh, you know, a title search to make sure that the title is clean and unencumbered. Um, we've made sure that there is current property insurance in place. We've gone. We've already conducted an inspection, and there's a detailed report of all the deferred maintenance or rehab that needs to be done. If any rehab activities were completed before the properties listed, there's a detailed listing of all the things that were replaced and what was the cost of those replacements. So, it's all about uh, really providing data transparency to both the seller and buyer. So they they're both coming at this transaction with the exact same information, uh, and you know typically. What we're solving for here is in a normal real estate transaction, the seller has more information than, than the buyer. And that's why during the closing period, you're you know desperately trying to get up to speed on what's going on with the property and all this renegotiation happens. So we're trying to change all that by saying the seller and buyer have the same information. You can perform your diligence up front. And when it's time to close the property, that transaction mm -hmm. can in fact then be just a one-click transaction. And then practically speaking, you know, and we've had the benefit of, you know, kind of catching up beforehand. So um, it's certainly helped me. And as I've said, you know, I'm coming at this a little bit as an outsider to don't, don't ask me how to buy a token and how that works. Cause I'm still, I still want to learn and figure it out here. I'm just a little bit on the outside. Um, we're a little slower up here in South Dakota, I suppose. But <laughs> so, so, Technically, in some ways, though, you're not really buying the property, right? That's correct. You so, guys have made this in a way that 
because the property sale is going to take the time a property sale takes regardless. Exactly. So maybe you can walk through practically what is actually up for sale and how the property essentially comes with that. Yeah, Jeff, feel free to take this one if you like. Sure, yeah. Uh, so so this um, the way that we've dealt with that, because your point is is absolutely right, you'll never get a, a, a one-click transaction if you're dealing with um, a local county recorder's office, right? That's uh, <laughs> It's never been contemplated, um, probably never will be. Um, so, so what we did is we, we inserted a layer that, that makes it possible to transact quickly, which is an LLC. So each home is titled in its own LLC. We create a new LLC from scratch. The, the home is titled in the LLC. And that is the traditional closing and settlement process that you were referring to that, that has to be there, that can't not happen. You have to have your title recorded somewhere. It's actually just recorded in the name of the LLC. And then what that allows us to do is structure it so that when I sell you my home token, what we're actually transacting is an LLC. I'm selling you my LLC. And so by virtue of you taking control of the LLC and ownership of the LLC, you now own the house and you can do whatever you want with the house. And then that gives rise to a couple other questions about, well, what if, you know, what does that LLC look like? How do I know that that LLC doesn't have other activities or uh, liabilities? Mm-hmm. And that took a, a fair amount of, of legal thought. But, but what we got to was a solution that uh, basically prescribes a very narrow set of things that that owner can do um, if, they, if they try to do something that's not permitted by the, the LLC operating agreement. It's, it just is not legally binding. It's, it's kind of null and void. Um, so, so that helps to ensure that the LLC is being used just for one purpose and one purpose only, which is to, to serve as this um, ownership interest that gets transferred to the extent that you as the manager, the owner want to, um, you know, manage the property yourself, or if you want to hire a property manager, um, you can, you can take those actions to, to manage the property, but you can't do additional things like hiring your own employees in an LLC or um, selling the property out from under the LLC. All of those types of things are prohibited. So that's, that's how we kind of created this little, uh, you know, call it a proxy for the title itself. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not new. Uh, people have used LLCs to hold real estate for generations, right? There's, there's a, another advantage to using LLCs, which is the liability protection, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it, again, this is an example in our view of taking some of the existing elements that exist, that, that have been used and are well known in the real estate space and just using them a slightly different way. Um, to achieve, you know, the purposes that we're looking for. But I don't think we're stepping far outside of uh, something that most real estate investors would be comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, certainly, and I know, you know, for when leading marketing at a, at Avail, uh, we had a, we must have written, I, I guess, a really good blog post about putting properties into LLCs because that thing was just a constant traffic magnet. Sorry if I'm giving away some secrets here on what to write about, but you know, it, it, it was, you know, it was, well, it, it was a constant you know, traffic magnet. It's, it's, it's no a never ending debate. I see this everywhere constantly Absolutely. in yes, every we, real estate circle. People always talk about, uh, you know, creating a family trust to take care of estate issues, but then uh, 
that family trust owning an LLC that contains real property to avoid, you know, to have liability protection. Yeah. That, that combination is sort of the age old way of doing stuff in real estate anyway. So we're simply, you know, taking that construct of the limited liability company and all we're doing here with the, you know, you were mentioning earlier that, you know, you don't know much about crypto or blockchain. Really, this is designed so that people don't really need to know that much about cryptography or blockchain. I mean, we ourselves mm-hmm. don't know that much about it technically. All we're doing here is the ownership of that LLC has to be recorded somewhere, and we're simply using the blockchain as a way to uh, ledger the uh, ownership of that LLC, right? So that gotcha. the NFT is really associated with who owns the LLC. And so that makes it, you know, for a, for a real estate investor, it's as much uh, a traditional LLC-owned real estate experience as anything else, but this one added element that there's an NFT involved in it. And that makes it interesting for the crypto investors who have sort of never, you know, dealt with LLCs and properties. They can sort of have that crypto asset, and through that crypto asset, they can get all of the same benefits as well. So it's sort of a, a good compromise for both the traditional real estate investors and the crypto investors. Let's talk about paying for the property. Now that we're kind of talking about cryptocurrencies here. Um, so most transactions, you're financing, you go to a bank, whether private bank, credit union, you're doing 25, you know, 20, 25% down payment on the property. If it's residential, you know, 30, 30 year terms, you know, amortizer or over 30 years kind of thing, pretty standard cut and dry. But this is a little bit different because obviously you can't be waiting for the financing underwriting and still deliver a instant experience. So how is that working? Yeah, in this ex- that's in a this great experience? question, right? So part of what we wanted to achieve here, and Jeff talked about sort of that one-click buying experience, and that is absolutely true. We wanted to get as true to that as possible. But real estate, as you know, only you know works when there's financing in place. And sure, there are periods of time when the interest rates are so high that negative you know leverage may be negative in nature but and so those one or two years you might do very low ltv or you might not have any loans but generally speaking in the long run people like to get the levered returns uh, they can use you know for real estate and so it only works if you can actually create a financing alternative and if you to the extent you have to rely on the traditional fannie mae underwriting of the individual where it's based on your credit and your income and your tax returns and this and that you truly cannot have that one-click experience, right? So part of what we had to engineer here was also to create a financing solution on the blockchain, but one which was, uh, because this is an investment property, the way we think about financing here is closer to how you might think about financing um, commercial real estate, um, you know, that's cash flowing and asset-based and not based on, you know, your individual credit or income, right? And so rather than go through the traditional process where somebody runs your FICO and then they say, okay, you're 780, I can do this. You're 680, I can't do this for you. And, and then like your income and taxes and, and then any other kind of um, debt you have that looks at your aggregate debt to income and all that stuff. So we want to get away from that here because one, it's not relevant. These are rental properties, commercial properties, and the borrower here would be an LLC. It's a commercial loan. So we went into this sort of asset-based lending paradigm, and we found uh, lenders on the blockchain who are willing to essentially take this asset that might be worth $200 and be ready to lend $120,000 or $130,000 against it. The first property we sold, um, 
had a 65% LTV loan. It was done as a sh shorter term loan. It was two years, but it was interest only, and it was done at 6%. Um, so even if the interest rates go up a little bit from there, um, as you know, for investment properties in LLCs, when you're looking at private money lenders, that's typically 10 to 12% with personal guarantees, right? We feel that through the blockchain, using this sort of asset-based financing mechanism, even if we get to a 7 or 8% over time, it'll still be lower than what the kind of hard money lenders are offering and certainly does not have elements of personal underwriting and personal guarantees and things like that. So there's a much more efficient and faster way to get uh, financing off options on the blockchain. And really, it's combining this one-click experience with that financing that makes this product very unique and very attractive to both kind of traditional real estate investors as well as Web3 investors. So there's a little bit of a difference here, obviously, like um, how you can transact on here. So I, I, I'm curious because, um, you know, one argument that I've heard is that you know, crypto is a, a store of value. Right? That's where you, you store value. I call me old school. I thought that was real estate, right? <laughs> so, so it sounds like on the surface very easily that, hey, these are two separate audiences. So, and there's a little bit combination here of like kind of crossing that bridge. So genuinely, like walk me through a little bit about like who, who cares about this? Like who is seeking this out? Like what's that buyer look like? And why are they looking to transact in this manner? You want to yeah, we've, we've spent a lot of time, yeah, talking about this and thinking about this and, and then validating our hypotheses by just talking to people in the space. What we found is that there is right now to start with, um, our core segment would be those people who are real estate investors and have some interest or experience in crypto. So there's kind of a Venn diagram and there's in between where they intersect. There's a little group of people that <clears throat> would that are familiar with real estate. They don't they're not coming to it for the first time, but they're also familiar with crypto and maybe they have funds in crypto um, that they want to to use to purchase a real estate asset, which they've never been able to do until now. Um, or maybe they're just looking for a better way to transact. Um, the, the first buyer that, that we purchased that purchased the home from us was an experienced real estate investor also very um, crypto forward and, and just sees that this is a better way to do the same thing that he's been doing for years and years as a real estate investor, because he can, he can complete this transaction with one click. And then there's the, on the flip side, at the time that he wants to sell it, he should have um, a much easier experience in, in selling that. Because again, if it can be bought with one click, it can be sold with one click. Of course, there's that process that we have to do an inspection and that type of thing before it's listed for sale. But the idea is that this is a faster way to transact. It's a, it's a more enjoyable way to transact. It's a cheaper way to transact. So if you're a real estate investor and I say, you know, it's going to cost you, call it six to 8% of the value of the house to transact. Mm -hmm. um, and you're looking at that from, again, just as an investor, um, or you could transact using our method, which is less than half of that. Um, what does, you know, if you save five, 4% of the value of the house on that transaction, instead of paying seven in all in fees, you pay three 
um, for in our example, what does that 4% rent represent to you as an investor? If you drop that into your IRR model, it shoots through the roof. It's a lot mm. interesting. That's like a year of, of net income on that property. Mm. So from an investor standpoint, you know, you, you see a very clear economic benefit um, from, and then, and then that's, so that's one group, the, the real estate investor. And then the other group would be those um, people who, people or, or institutions, organizations that maintain a lot of their money in uh, crypto. This is, you know, kind of a wealth management or a treasury management option for them. They have, um, you know, millions or you know, all, more, a lot of, a lot of money to, to deploy. They don't want to go through the process of trying to off ramp that into a bank account because that's very time consuming and, um, and painful to do now, instead of keeping all of their money in cryptocurrencies, which are largely correlated with each other and are subject to this crazy volatility that we all see now they can actually access a, a stable asset class. Uh, real estate, the values aren't going to go up 20,000% in a day, but they're also not going to go to zero. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a, as a, as a kind of a portfolio allocation play, uh, this makes a lot of sense for, for mm -hmm. crypto holders because they can, they can participate in um, a real world asset that's more stable. It's not correlated to crypto. It's not correlated to the stock market. It throws off yield and it has some equity um, you know, appreciation over time. It's an interesting diversification strategy. Yeah, and I also want to add one thing to that, right? When you add in the financing element, right? In the sort of traditional financing uh, solutions, you're going through a lender and getting underwritten to Fannie Mae guidelines. And Fannie Mae puts a limitation on the number of investment properties you can uh, own as a, as a 10, that's right. So um, what happens when you want to buy the 11th property, right? This is a, a problem for real estate investors all the time. So Hard most money, of the time they're trying to figure money. out, yeah. So there's two solutions, right? One, for some time you might try to put some number of properties titled in one spouse's name and some in the other, but they both have to be working. They both have to have income. They both have to you know, be able to get underwritten and all that. So once mm -hmm. you move out of this world, it's basically private money, hard money lending. And then it's the 10-12% the rates and personal guarantees and all that stuff. So you sort of enter this void after you're, 10 properties where it becomes incredibly hard, you know, to build up a portfolio beyond that. Uh, and sure, if you somehow succeeded in getting north of 200 homes, then you've got larger non-bank lenders and bank lenders that are willing to talk to you about it. But, you know, between 10 and 200, you sort of have this gap where it's incredibly hard to build generational wealth beyond those first 10 homes. And with this solution, you know, it's all asset-based, right? So, you don't have that specific issue. The interest rates are comparable. I mean, the reason why people like the Fannie Mae loans is comparatively cheaper to the, you know, than the private money, hard money lending. But if you can find a, a blockchain financing alternative that's close to the Fannie Mae rates, then you don't really need the private money solution. And mm -hmm. you, you basically can scale and expand to as many properties as you want. So in a way, uh, you know, we feel that, again, the convenience of doing it this way but also the added benefits in terms of better, more flexible financing alternatives sort of make this a winner. And even though it's sort of new, uh, you know, like it took us a year of innovating from a financial and legal structuring perspective to figure this out, you know, that's sort of how these things start. Uh, 
somebody has to take that first step and the first buyer is buying something that's untested but the next 10 kind of follow them and the next 100 follow the first 10 and so on and so we we were getting a lot of interest from people already you know several prospective buyers have reached out and said they like the model and they'd like to you know purchase one or two properties this way and try it out so uh, we feel that this is the beginning and it's you know it'll take off because ultimately it's the convenience the cheaper uh, cost of doing these transactions and more flexible financing alternatives when you put all this together you know it just uh, is a winning combination right and the example mm-hmm. is you know it was sort of back in the day you had to hail a taxi you know and go to the airport you were desperately calling you know the top 10 numbers on google and saying do you have a cab available at 5 30 tomorrow and at you know 5 20 you're desperately waiting there to see if the guy is going to show up or not and if he doesn't you're calling more cab companies now you have uber you just you know book something in your app you don't know, you don't care about how it works it as long as you can see a little animated picture of that car coming toward towards your house you're you feel good about it and you know that convenience um irrespective of the whether there were cost advantages or not people were willing to switch from a traditional way of doing things that they had done for the past several decades to a new model because it was just more convenient and ultimately mm-hmm. we feel that the same thing is true here because this model is just more convenient both from a buying perspective and from a financing perspective and that's that's going to be the reason people will take the trouble to learn about a new technology and move over yeah kind of want to shift a little bit in here and talk a little bit about how you're reaching your customer base, you know, as a marketer, I, I like to keep things simple. And so I just, I break out marketing into, well, there's demand capture and then there's demand generation. Um, Which side of that are you guys really focused on in finding some of these early adopters willing to, you know, because it's a little bit of a new way to transact. Uh, But are you just simply capturing demand of people already kind of looking for this? Or is there a demand generation component to have to, you know, demonstrate and show the value of educate and cultivate to, in order to, you know, help drive a sale? Uh, Jeff, you're on mute. So I, I can, I can start off here. Um, it's, it's a little bit of both really. Sorry, um, no, no, let me, yeah. let me, right, let me ahead. jump in. Like, yeah. there, there are two sides to it. One is um, yes, of course there are, Uh, there is a certain amount of education that has to happen. Um, Any smart buyer is going to ask all of the questions that you're asking. And, um, and then, you know, it continues for, it could be a couple hour conversation by the time uh, everyone is square on, on what's happening, what's not happening. Um, So, so for these initial first buyers, we, we do um, spend a good amount of time, but we have people. So, so we've, we've reached out to a number of, uh, people in the Roofstock ecosystem. Roofstock's been around for seven years and has literally th- hundreds of thousands of customers. And we've done some outreach to them um, and, and gotten some views. Um, and then on the Web3 space, we're also reaching out to um, to individuals and, and institutions uh, to, to test the waters and, and get their interest. The, the second part of it though is, so, so, you know, we have to build this. It's kind of you have to start somewhere, right? And mm-hmm. and so we're starting from a complete green field and we're taking wherever the interest comes from, we're taking it and, and building it. 
The second part of it, though, will be related to the DeFi uh, solution, which, you know, if we are able to create a financing product that's more attractive than a financing product that's available currently through a traditional lender, that's where we see the, the real pull through happening. So you may have a good number of real estate investors who don't particularly care about blockchain. Maybe they think it's a scam or whatever it might be, and they're not immediately interested in the product. But if we tell them, hey, you can get a loan that's 200 basis points cheaper if you transact on a blockchain as opposed to not transacting on a blockchain, they'll take the time to learn and understand what's going on. Yeah, I'm on listening. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, so, we've so that's had it. I mean, that's examples of this. Right, right. We, we've, we've actually spoken to Roofstock investors who want to learn about this technology and transact this way because they're looking for better financing alternatives. And that really will be the catalyst that mm. gets more traditional real estate people looking at Web3. Um, but beyond that, you know, we've also, um, uh, within the sort of the crypto Twitter space and the, the Web3 space, the fact that the sale happened... Um, which you know, people have been talking about real-world assets being incorporated into blockchain as the next, uh, as the future of uh, this technology, and so they've been waiting for something like this to happen for a while. So when mm -hmm. this transaction took place and it had financing, it sort of proved to the ecosystem that this can be done and it can be done in a le legally compliant fashion, and that generated so much uh, attention. Uh, our the uh, ours on-chain Twitter handle went from you know, a few hundred people when we were still on kind of stealth mode to, you know, 8,000 or some people within a wow. span of just a few days. Uh, and and that's continue. you know, that'll continue to grow as we, you know, we're just getting ready to close our second property. This one's going to be in Covington, Georgia. So it's a suburb of Atlanta. Uh, will be another nice starter home. And um, so as soon as we start rehabbing that property and, you know, we'll start documenting some of that and publishing it on Twitter, we expect uh, the audience engagement to be high again. Um, mm. And then over time, you know, as we, you know, get from the, get to the first 10 and then the next 50 and so on, uh, we continue to expect um, social media to be very actively involved in the, uh, from a marketing perspective, because really a lot of this uh, is, gets discussed on crypto Twitter and then we get inv invited to either Twitter spaces or podcasts and we talk about this uh, considerably. And it's, you know, that's, that's been uh, very successful as a marketing strategy as well. Um, people are looking for a solution like this. So, uh, you know, without us having mm -hmm. to do a lot of outreach, you know, it does get uh, considerable attention and we're grateful for that. Is that house happen to be in Helen? Is it Helen, Georgia? Uh, this one is in, I think it's in Covington, right? Oh, yeah. I was hoping that you were going to tell me you picked Helen. I don't know if you're familiar with this little town. But it's tucked up into the mountains of Georgia. It's a Bavarian village, um, and so I was. I, and it's kind of kind of cool. Right around the corner is like a big haunted house and like bowling alley lanes. I'm pretty. But sure if I it's remember. a if it's a big tourist attraction, it could you know it is could be a good short term rental market for sure. It, it's also a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings. So um, <laughs> there's um, you know there's a few different angles you can take on it. You know, we can go down a whole rabbit hole. Why Might attract a very specific this. type of buyer. I mean, if you're in the market, let us know what, <laughs> what you want. <laughs> I just happen to know a little bit about random Bavarian villages across the country. So, well, yeah, no, I appreciate you going into the details on that and like kind of you know explaining all of those um, 
you know, the different pieces there. I want to, want to shift a little bit to, you know, you guys put a lot of time into the figuring out how this structures, you know, getting some of the legal components, right. You know, reverse engineering the transaction so that it actually can be instant somewhere along the way. There's probably one or two mistakes and some lessons from that. Can you share an experience or, or at least one of those uh, learning moments where something wasn't going or didn't go as you'd planned? You want to yeah, there yet? were no shortage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this was every day there was a dead end of some kind. Um, and and it, we just had to put our heads together and, and figure out how to, to get smart. Um, I mean, one one big one was the securities loss treatment. Um, that is, of course, a hot topic in crypto and um, less so in the real estate space. But um, there is a con- there could be a concern, depending on how this is structured, that this transaction would uh, be subject to the, the jurisdiction of the securities laws, either federal or state. And if that's the case, then everything is everything changes because then we need to bring in all of those regulated entities, the broker dealers and uh, the custodians and all of those, um, which really would would make it impossible to to have the structure that we have right now, which is this one click transaction where you actually have the total control and possession of your asset. It's not sitting on someone else's server. It's, it's, you know, you're holding it yourself and then therefore you can pledge that to a lender. Um, that wouldn't be possible with today's regulatory landscape if this was a security. So we did spend a few months, honestly, um, thinking that we wanted a structure that would ultimately turn it into a security, a kind of a fully managed structure where, Hey, just come to us, buy this, this property, we'll manage it for you and we'll send you your checks. Um, we did think about that and, and then ultimately changed the direction because we, we didn't want, um, want to do that. So, so right now we're very clear when you're buying this property, you're the owner, you make the decisions about, um, anything that might lead to profit or loss, whether it's rented, how it's rented, who rents it, what the CapEx strategy, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, so that's, you know, by, by clearly putting the ownership and the control in the hands of the, the owner, as opposed to a third party manager, we avoided mm-hmm. the securities treatment. So that was, you know, that obviously was several months of hard work trying to, um, you know, going down one path and then really listening to the Web3 community, which said the securities token markets, you know, had, you know, considerable issues. And even though there are a lot of people trying to solve those issues, we didn't want to be caught up in that cycle, which could take a few months or a few years, right, before the regula- regulations catch up there. Uh, this solution is a lot more elegant because you can sell this property on OpenSea, looks at, you know, wherever you want on NFT marketplaces, and mm-hmm. it's really that one-click experience. The couple of other things that we, you know, had to solve for, which were sort of interesting, was one, you know, when people are buying these NFTs, ultimately you're buying an LLC, so we do need to know uh, who you are. You have to get KYC'd. And so the way we solved that particular problem eventually was to say, um, you know, essentially everybody that wants to buy a property comes to our site and mints a token for free. And then they opt in to get KYC'd. And once they get KYC'd, we just update a flag on that token saying you're now KYC'd, right? And so when they're going to actually buy this uh, Web3 home property NFT from us, we check to see if their wallet has this KYC flag on it. And mm-hmm. if it does, then it allows the sale to go through. If it doesn't, then you won't be able to purchase it. So 
So that's an important characteristic here because even though you're buying everything on Ethereum, which is permissionless and you know you can uh, anonymously connect your wallet to a, an NFT marketplace and purchase uh, an NFT asset, um, there is sort of this layer of uh, a permissioned architecture built on top because we do need to know who the ultimate beneficial owner is. Um, so there was some engineering uh. we did there. Uh, one really innovative thing we did, and this took a lot of uh, trying trial and errors as well, was to, because again, when you're buying and selling this NFT, unlike uh, a, a JPEG picture you might be buying and selling, there's an LLC here. So somebody's signing a purchase and sale agreement. Um, and so if we said, hey, buy this NFT, and then we're going to like call you or email you and send you DocuSigns to sign, that would not truly be a one-click experience, right? Because the right, right. then is followed by phone calls and emails and other things. So we spent a lot of time in trying to devise a strategy to truly make this one-click. And the way we did that was uh, hiring special uh, specialist lawyers who had spent the last 20, 30 years of their life just thinking about electronic signatures and figuring out a way to take this blockchain transaction and all the things that happened to make it true which is the, the seller when they're listing the property, they're actually digitally signing their wallet that permits the marketplace to list that property for sale. And then when the buyer is buying that property on the NFT marketplace, they're digitally signing their wallet, authenticating the purchase before the purchase can take place. And then once the sale happens, it's immutably recorded and stored on the Ethereum blockchain. And there is a way to go back and reference that transaction and look at all the details. So by combining all these elements, we said, now it you know in, in when you put all this together, it constitutes a legally binding agreement between the two parties that the party that engaged to sell it and the party that engaged to buy it. And so that that took a you know it was an entirely separate legal analysis outside everything else we were doing with the real estate and the securities laws and the commercial law and all that other stuff to figure out how can we make this electronic signature on the blockchain. Um, essentially become the uh, the contract that the buyer and seller are uh, signing. Very cool, appreciate all that. Um, I want to shift us a little bit into the bottom segment of the show. I like to call this segment for the future, for the futures when I get to ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. I'll give both of you time to give your predictions here. We'll see if there's any deviation. I'm excited for this. Okay. Sanjay, Jeff, you guys ready to play? We're absolutely ready. Yeah. All right. Got my hand on the buzzer here. <laughs> <laughs> First one here. What does Roofstock on-chain look like one year from now? You first. Much Jeff. larger than it is now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is... Um, it's not it's not crazy to think about um, hundreds of homes um, tokenized through our platform in a year. It's not crazy to think about thousands. One year from now, it's somewhere between uh, probably a hundred and a thousand. Yeah, I would I would concur with that. Um, especially this is you know an unprecedented bad time in the real estate markets. Um, sellers want to sell at yesterday's prices and buyers want to buy at tomorrow's. Uh, hopefully, the markets. Uh, I mean, we saw some favorable data um, from the uh, CPI uh, that shows that inflation is coming down. So hopefully uh, as the Fed reduces the interest rate hikes uh, and the market stabilizes uh, next year, we'll see a pickup of purchase activity starting, uh, whether it's you know Q2, Q3, Q4. Um, so we think you know, we can get to 100 assets, uh, but certainly you know, 
after, beyond 2023, we'd be looking at the thousands. And so uh, for 2023, it's somewhere between 100 and 1,000. So concur with that. As, as juvenile as I am on this topic, but because of my uh, tie to OB Insurance and partner with you guys, I'm very excited about that vision. <laughs> So, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Question number two here. What's it going to take for 10% of residential real estate transactions in some way, shape, or form to use block ta- blockchain technology? I'll start with this one. The uh, Again, we're talking about rental properties because owner-occupied properties are a completely yep. different beast. Uh, if we can solve the financing issue at scale, that's a no-brainer. I think that's that's the thing that's going to lead ten percent of these transactions to happen on the blockchain. Yeah, we we use kind of back of the envelope uh, calculations between six hundred thousand and nine hundred thousand single-family homes change hands in a typical year. So right. if we're looking at ten percent of that, that would be you know sixty to ninety thousand. Um, those are huge, huge numbers. But um, what really prompts someone, what, what, what prompts us to, to become uh, a player of that magnitude is exactly what Sanjay said. If we're providing that debt at a better, on better terms than you can get from a lender, then that people will go through the process and the time to educate themselves and, and use the, the blockchain. Very cool. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? Uh, I'll start with this one as well. Um, you know, today, uh, cryptocurrency as a class of, as a basket of assets is very highly correlated with the stock market. And the and it's not only is it correlated with the stock market, but it actually, the movements are, um, even though they're in the same direction, they're much higher uh, than what you see in the stock market. So when the markets are going up, crypto goes up with them, but it goes up, in a much more um, you know faster pace, and then when the markets stock markets go down, crypto goes down, but the volatility is so high it goes down considerably more as well. So, for example, Bitcoin you know gained a lot in 2021 and lost about 60% in 2022 from you know where it was at there at its high. Um, I'd like to see where eventually cryptocurrency becomes a completely non-correlated asset and. Even though uh, the basket of cryptocurrencies is sort of separate from the home tokens that we're talking about here, uh, it is an asset class, uh, an alternative asset class that people are taking more seriously, more institutional capital is coming into it. Uh, But today, it just seems to be very highly correlated with the stock market. And I'd like Mm. to see it develop as an alternative asset class of its own. I would answer that question thinking about um, the real estate side of things, and and this isn't exactly a trend. It's it's a way things are exist today that that I think should change, um, which is you know the use the exclusive use of county recorders offices to record title to the to the homes. The the only reason that we inserted the LLC into our uh, system is is to make the transfers immediate using blockchain. But there's, there's no real principle or reason that um, home ownership can only be recorded through your local county recorder's office. It could also be recorded through blockchain itself. And of course, that requires legislative changes. It requires a lot of thinking, a lot of work. Yes, but 
is it a better way to do business? It is. It's faster, cheaper. It's immediate. It's um, it, it's un, you know it's totally transparent and it's an immutable record. So it would remove um, not only a lot of these transaction frictions, but also um, remove a lot of the concerns that people have about um, encumbrances on title that are you know somehow hidden. Um, if everything is on a public blockchain, then then all of that can be seen in real time mm -hmm. at, any, at any time. Last one here on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Jeff, you first. Um, dramatically change real estate as a result of tech advances? Dramatically change or question? fade away? So... Um, I mean, I think this, what we've created here with a, a new way to, to transact real estate, I think this is um, what the future looks like in one form or another. And that's not to say that um, other people that are, that participate in that process right now don't have a role, you know, real estate advisors and agents, those are all, you know, still um, but potentially useful and, and insurance doesn't go anywhere. But I think the, there's no reason that the real estate closing and settlement process has to be as time consuming and as painful as it is now. It, it really just exists because of convention. Um, and so I think what, what we're introducing here is a new way of thinking about that. Mm. Yeah, I would add to that, that um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, democratization of real estate through fractional ownership. Um, that's always you know a, a point of discussion that keeps coming up. Uh, today, unfortunately, the regulations make those types of transactions securities transactions, and securities transactions are highly, highly regulated, which uh, just by means of those regulations make it very hard um, for the you know larger retail population to participate in such transactions. So even though our product is a one-home, one-owner type thing, and it's not fractionalization, when you're looking at apartment complexes or office buildings, which are all traditionally owned by uh, either you know high net worth uh, family offices or private private equity institutions and you know or REITs, um, there you know there could be a way to uh, allow retail investors to participate in those markets if there was a, a slightly different regulatory regime created to handle those types of uh, like a you know if you didn't have to go through the full uh, securities regulations that are applicable to any types of securities transactions and the and the government was open to looking at, like, if you're buying tokens that represent uh, an apartment complex, maybe there's a, some, you know, a BD light type registration that allows people to uh, allow those types of transactions to happen in primary and secondary markets. Maybe that that opens up a lot more um, real estate access to the normal uh, everyday investor. So that'd be an interesting change to see in the next five, 10 years. Very cool. We're going to move to the very last three questions. Appreciate your time here, fellas. Uh, these are so our listeners get to know you personally just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? Uh, Jeff, you want to start? Crypto Twitter. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I probably read a dozen crypto newsletters um, every day and um, trying to ingest what's, what's happening in this industry and staying uh, on top of it is that's a full-time job by itself. Um, it's, you know, new things are being launched literally every day. Um, aside from that, um, I do have a couple books on the shelf, um, for, 
um, for the future, but um, I can't, I would be lying if I said I'm reading those at the moment. <laughs> so I, I would add that in addition to the, the, you know, crypto Twitter and the newsletters, I do spend uh, a lot of my time reading white papers uh, of crypto companies and uh, DeFi protocols just to understand how other people are structuring their products. And then in terms of books itself, I forget the title now, but there's a book about uh, Chairman uh, Jay Powell um, and sort of, you know, what, you know, how he's been, uh, you know, his involvement with the Fed and what he's been doing. So uh, it's sort of interesting to mm. just read about, you know, people who are, you know, at the head of the our, our uh, monetary policy and, and, you know, they're in charge of either tackling uh, inflation or, you know, through interest rates or monetary expansion or contraction. So um, just from a economics and uh, finance perspective, I enjoy reading those types of uh, books. Very cool. Number two, who are you learning from? Mm. A lot from discussions on uh, with other people in the Web3 industry. Um, Earlier in the year, Jeff and I were fortunate to uh, be admitted into uh, a Web3 accelerator that was run by the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. It's called Cypher. In fact, I think wow. they might be taking in applications for their second cohort now. Um, so we spent two and a half months through that program and literally were introduced to, there were like two one-hour webinars every day. Um, and so we got to meet with 60 or so uh, leaders in the Web3 space and just understand everything that people were doing. And, um, you know, since then, it's been mostly just um, a lot of networking, meeting people in the space. Um, both Jeff and I have been attending conferences like crazy and trying to meet up with peers in the industry and talk to them about what they're doing and learn about new innovations happening in this uh, area. I agree. It, I'm learning from everyone that I talk to in the space. And, and we have... 10 conversations a day at least um that's that's what we do is is share information and um it's it's there's not a single source that i would go to there are a thousand sources where we get a little insight from each one and then string it all together into you know a, a picture that works for us very cool last one here what inspires you <clears throat> Stuff, Jeff. Improving. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's going to sound cliched and all of that, but um, we do feel, I feel like we are um, moving things forward for both the Web3 space and the real estate space. You know, this is an area in particular, this, the settlement process and all of that, this is literally has roots in England from hundreds of years ago. And um, it's not to say that, that there aren't reasons for things to be the way they are, but, but they can be done better and differently. And um, we're right at the intersection where we can improve both the real estate sector and the Web3 space. Um, and and that, you know, that's inspiring for us. You know, one, yeah. it's, in my mind, it's just one little step. But as a, as a society, if we all take one little step, then we advance together. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, uh, it's pretty much the same for me. It's uh, creating fundamental innovations that make uh, people's lives better or uh, transfer more value to people, whether it's monetary or otherwise. Um, that's always, you know, um, a good enough reason to wake up in the morning and want to do this. And on top of that, I really like to solve, you know, complex the challenges in with with the kind of debt financing in the debt financing world and see if there's an easier way to 
um, solve some of these problems. And if we can achieve that at scale, uh, that's going to save money and time for people and generally you know, improve the uh, percentage of home ownership in the country and just give more access to people to build generational wealth. And I think those are lofty goals to pursue, and but you know that always keeps us motivated. Fellas, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, you giving a lot, uh, both to me, but also those listening, I think in a way that both makes sense and translates, kind of taking that Web3, bringing it to the real world and, and applying some application here or showing and demonstrating some application uh, that can make sense um, for, and you know, thanks for putting up with uh, an interviewer who uh, still has a lot to, to catch up on. Jeff, maybe you can refer me uh, some good resources I should add to my inbox uh, on, a, on a regular basis. For those who want to either get in touch with you guys or learn more about Rustak OnChain, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, uh, Twitter is a great place to uh, follow and see what's going on. Um, you know, RS OnChain is the Twitter handle for uh, Rustak OnChain. And then I'm uh, ETH, uh, E-T-H underscore Sanjay, S-A-N-J-A-Y. And Jeff is uh, underscore G-T-H-O-M-P-S. So, um, you know, definitely follow us on Twitter. We'll, we'll be updating what's happening with Roofstock on chain, uh, as well as with this next property that's going to be coming uh, online soon. We're going to be starting to post information about it. So, um, yeah, that's those are probably the best ways to uh, stay up to date with what's going on. Very cool. I just gave you guys a follow from both my personal and my TechNest account. So shame on me for not being on top of that, but... I'll be following along, looking forward to it and continue chats here. Otherwise, though, um, appreciate it, guys, and we'll we'll see you later. Thanks very much. Thanks for having Great. us. Great. Thanks again. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.